I'm Logan Bishop from Belmont University, and you're listening to Higher Ed Social, part of the Connect EDU network. So how was your new year? You know, it was great. I, you know, I had a chance to spend some time with my family up in New England before coming back to North Carolina where the it's holidays warm. were nice and warm and had a chance to relax a little bit and uh, classes got underway on campus today. And so here we are in the spring semester and it, it feels good actually to have the holidays behind us and, and jump back into the swing of things. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, not being political, but, you know, people talk about climate change, right? I wore, like, shorts last week because it was 70 degrees. Like, I, I was going back through the university Instagram account, right? And typically the first day of classes every year for, like, two or three years, we had frozen fountains because it was, like, the high that day was, like, 15 degrees and, you know, we're in Nashville, so, and Belmont, you know, pulls in students from all over the place. So we have students from, like, Michigan and New York, and they're all like, oh, it's so warm out here. And then we have the people from Florida and California who are like, oh, my gosh, I didn't bring a coat. What's a coat? <laughs> and um, and it's just so funny because, you know, like, the folks in Florida are like, why aren't you closing school? And we're like, uh, it's sunny outside it's not even snowing like you're supposed to complain i mean i kind of get it if it there's like an inch of snow outside but like it's not even that um so it's, it's always so interesting um that but right now you know it's been in the 60s and 70s i mean today it was like 55 and you know i was outside with my team and they're like oh my gosh it's so cold and i was like uh i run in shorts and short sleeve shirts in this weather this is like perfect like early spring weather this is not like dead of winter january weather um what what scares me the most knowing chapel hill so we've you know my wife and i we've lived in north carolina now for for more than 11 years combined uh with a little bit of a, a break in between when we were back in new england and what scares me the most is knowing that when we have a real warm start to January, it means there's going to be a, a big cold snap coming at some point, probably in late January or early February. So I'm trying to enjoy it now because I know we'll have to pay for it later. Um, yeah, well, maybe. Will you? I mean, Chapel Hill isn't a whole lot different from here, except you're like on the other side of the mountains. Um, but it doesn't snow there that oh. It doesn't snow there that much. Um, I mean, it might have like 20 years ago, um, but it's in well, the, pe isn't it in we're guaranteed, we are, we are guaranteed to get really buried under at least an inch or two a season. <laughs> and, and outside of that, um, if we get more than that, it's a bad winter. Hmm. Oh, well, you know, we're like a few minutes and I should probably let you introduce yourself um, so go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, well, so my name is Brendan 
Foley, and I'm the director of communications for the Moorhead Kane Foundation. Uh, we are a uh, undergraduate scholarship program located at UNC Chapel Hill, and um, we have been around. We are actually the the nation's first undergraduate merit scholarship program, so we've been wow. around for a long time. Um, this marks our the beginning of our 70th year, and so um, we have a lot of history and tradition, which is is great and wonderful, and a lot of incredible students. Uh, in our program and alumni to work with. And I got a chance to do a little bit of everything in my job that is higher ed adjacent. And so it's it's a lot of fun. I, I get to go to work every day and kind of play in a sandbox. So that's interesting. I mean, I've, we've had folks with alumni associations and stuff like that on the show before, but we've never had anyone that is specifically for one scholarship. Mm. And I've, I think that, is that unique or is that something that, you know, you see at a, a lot of institutions, because I know we don't have one at Belmont. So there are, you know, it is the scholarship world there. Before I, I joined the foundation, uh, and it will be six years in March, I was kind of naive and, and ignorant to how many scholarship programs were out there. There are so many more than I actually realized. Um, and there are kind of more popping up every day as colleges look to expand access and make university uh, universities more affordable for students. Um, you know, and, and some are structured differently than others. I think what is really exciting about the work that I get to do is we have uh, a little more than 3,000 alumni, uh, just under 300 students in our program. And so we are kind of comparatively small when you think of the bigger picture of UNC Chapel Hill. Right. But everything that works, um, all of our operations, we kind of have all the functions of uh, that of a college. And so we have a selections process that mirrors admissions. We have um, advisors, which kind of mirrors things with student affairs. We have alumni engagement. We have advancement. Uh, we have our general communications work about um you know, just brand building and, and making sure we're letting people know what we're doing out there. And so since we have to do all of those things, but we are a small staff as a, as a small nonprofit, um, it, it means um, I get to do a little, a little bit of all of it. I get to do admissions work. I get to do advancement work. Um, it's real exciting. So, so is the foundation part of UNC Chapel Hill or is it separate? It is it is separate. I always like to say that I have the, the best of both worlds. So mm -hmm. we are separate from UNC Chapel Hill, um, but we are, you know, partners with with the university, but we are technically our own private nonprofit, um, which is a lot of fun because it means we get to kind of um, our mission very explicitly is to enhance um, to sustain and enhance the excellence of the university. And so that's what we're really striving to do. And so the university is a great partner in that way. Um, it also means that when internally we have a, an idea that we want to test out, or if there's some communication that needs to go out specifically in the work that I do, um, generally it needs to get approved by one person, um, if that many, there are certainly plenty of projects I've had that I've thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to try this and I'm just going to put this out on the web and see what happens. And I don't even necessarily need to get approval for that. And so there's a lot less overhead to operate with than in mm -hmm. a general university structure, which is, um, it, it, you know, it's really great. It's, it's getting to live out higher ed work without some of the, um, kind of the other log jam parts that come sometimes, uh, with working in higher ed. I get that. I definitely get that. 
So how how does what you do fit into the the larger organization? Like, um, are you doing just like communications work, um, as in public relations, or are you also doing like recruitment stuff? Are are you doing all of it? So you know that's a that's a really good question, and it's the long answer is complicated but you know really the the short answer is a little bit of everything and so you know we have our normal communications work and our social channels and working on on videos and our print materials and and kind of whatever we're trying to do to make sure that we're telling the stories of our students and our alumni and that people have an idea of of what people in our community are up to. Um, you, you know, a big part of that work is is also making sure that those pieces and the work that I do as a communicator is can be used for selections purposes or um, development purposes. Um, and when it comes time for specific communications pieces for um, fundraising. So if there is a year-end appeal um, or when it comes to selections, if there's uh, specifically recruitment pieces that need to go out, um, I'm a key part of some of those strategic decisions. I'm a key part in some in creating some of that collateral um, drafting language, um, you know, coming up with some of the visual design, tweaking HTML, hmm. um, doing some of the technical work on it. So, um, pretty much of my six years at the foundation, um, pretty much have been a team of one for um, all, all but a year and a half of it. Uh, and so pretty much when it comes to anything that is communications adjacent within the operations of the foundation, it, it is usually, um, it's usually come my way in some shape or form. Hmm. That is challenging. <laughs> that is challenging. You know, it, it is, you know, certainly I think, it's it's fun because I, I know I think something that when I talk with our colleagues in higher ed, especially people who are in smaller places or smaller schools and units, and, and there are plenty of places out there that are, are teams of one, people who are managing social and they're also kind of doing the web you know content, and it, it is a lot. Um, I think what I'm really thankful for in the work that I do is working with a scholarship program. We talked about earlier some of the unique opportunities with that. Working in a scholarship program, I've also had the opportunity to interview students who end mm -hmm. up receiving the scholarship. Um, the office space that we work in um, pretty much also has plenty of space for our scholars to come in and study. And so I have the opportunity to step out of my office and um, see a room full of um, our scholars who are working on some amazing things on campus. And so um, I joke with them sometimes that if, if I want to procrastinate and I need a little bit of break from my work, I just step out of my office and I prevent them from doing their work. Um, <laughs> and I get to see what they're up to. And it, it leads to a lot of good relationship building, which is something that's really important to the foundation. But what it also means is even on those hard days where I feel like there is just a lot happening and I have a lot in my to-do list. It also means that I, in a very real way, see the direct impact of my work. And so we're in the middle of a capital campaign right now uh, that we publicly launched in 2015. And I know that the, the better I do my job uh, and the more alumni donors we raise, the more scholarships end up being offered. And that just means the more faces I'll see in that building and that um, I'm not sure 
how many of us in higher ed are that close to the impact of our work. I know there are many of us who are, um, but I'm just really grateful to be in that position where, um, you know, I get to to see very in very real ways what the work I'm doing on a day to day basis, how it can help um, the students and alumni I serve. That's got to feel good. I mean, and especially, you know, I and I see, I don't know if that's necessarily something that you see, you know, out there uh, that much in, especially the kind of work that you were doing. See, I did not expect that you would, you would have that kind of ability um, being kind of separate from the university and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's great. Yeah, it, it it's really rewarding. Um, it's it's really rewarding, and, and um, I spent eleven years in broadcast journalism before um, making the transition to higher ed. It, it's it's funny because when I listen to this show or or kind of look at other people's career paths who are in communications in higher ed, uh, it is full of former journalists, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of a lot of people who I think find that. Um, higher ed is a much nicer place to be than news sometimes. Not that news isn't important. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Um, but it is just the work feels really, really good. Um, it feels really good. And I think um, working with the scholarship program, um, you know, the fact that we are awarding full undergraduate scholarships to students, um, it's a population that is very grateful. And so I, you know, kind of the other bonus is, is it's very rare um, for for us to find ourselves kind of in a position where we are kind of in the crosshairs of, of trolls or, or anything like that. And so um, it's just there's a lot of positive energy um, around the program. And so it, it makes my job much easier. So what made you want to make the jump? Mm, That's a good question. I mean, broadcast journalism is lots of fun, right? Um, Oh, it is. I mean, and at the same time, I'm sure it's miserable at the same time, but uh, (laughs) especially these days. But but what I mean, that was six years ago. It wasn't that bad. Um, What made you want to make the jump? (laughs) Um, You know, it is so you know, that's a great question. So when I when I left grad school, I have a master's in broadcast journalism. And when I left grad school, I always thought that it would be a, a 10 to 15 year plan before I would kind of get out. Um, mainly because when I would look around newsrooms, I would see that if there were people who were over the age of 40, um, generally they were in senior management and they looked really grumpy. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't want that for myself. Um, and so I always, I actually thought that there would be a chance that I would try to teach journalism. I thought that would be the way that I would end up kind of on a college campus, is I thought it would be fun to teach. Um, 
And then kind of as my career progressed and I, you know, social media, I mean, I started my journalism career in 2000 in 2003. Mm -hmm. And so this was really before social media was a thing. I mean, I didn't have my own personal Facebook page until I think 2005, 2006, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as technology started to develop and, and social became significantly more relevant and mobile devices became what they were uh, or what they are now, um, kind of the um, the content aspect of the news world that I loved so much, really, I didn't want to let that go. Um, right. I just I just wanted to hold on to that in an environment that felt um, a, a little less intense deadline driven in the way that, you know, in news, I was working 60 hours weeks, you know, noon to midnight every day. Um, if something big happen in the world, which happens constantly, especially now you're, Mm -hmm. you're constantly giving up your weekends, giving up holidays, missing friends, week, um, weddings, missing families, birthdays. And so I just wanted something that was a little more humane. Um, and what I love about the higher ed environment is it's full of people, whether it is faculty or staff who are working with students or students themselves, it's just full of people who are trying to make the world or themselves or their field uh, better. Um, And so I thought, you know, that's something I want to spend some time in. Um, And I'll fully admit that I never expected my work with Moorhead Kane to be kind of the place that just resonated with me so strongly. I thought it would be kind of a transition out of news. And then I would, after a couple of years, I would see what would happen next. But I just absolutely fell in love with the work and the the students and the alumni uh, and my coworkers. I work with the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire life. And so after all that, I thought, well, this is pretty great. Like, you know, why would I leave here? And so the six years has gone by pretty fast. I know that feeling. I've, you know, I've been at Belmont for... Let's see, it should be be 12 years in um, April. Yeah, so four months, it'll be 12 yeah. years. And I look, it probably was like four years ago. I looked, I, I was sitting in a meeting and I looked up and I was like, when did I become the old mm. guy? <laughs> When did I become the person that's been here forever, mm-hmm. you know? And that's just, it, it just weirds me out still to this day because now in my office, I am, well, we reorged. So I'm no longer the most senior person, but I'm the, um, that's been at Belmont. Um, the person who, uh, uh, our, uh, director of public relations just moved from our office communications over to, um, university marketing, public relations, um, in a, in a little bit of a reorg, but she's been here like a year or two longer than me. So I mean, we've been here about the same amount of time in the scheme of things, but you know, our entire team has, is just different people. And some mm-hmm. of them have been here for like five years, you know? And I'm just like, wow, um, I'm the, I am the seasoned veteran. That is crazy. Um, I still don't feel like I should be, you know, the old guy, <laughs> um, but I am. <laughs> well, I, and what I think is so 
interesting. You know, I'm I'm going through something similar right now because we've we've had a few new teammates join us over the past year. Um, and you know, some every now and then I look around and I think, oh, like I I remember what it was like to be new here. And now I look around and I think, okay, of the the 16 or 17 of us on staff, I'm I'm kind of like the fifth or the sixth in terms of seniority at this point, and that is not that it that feels different um and i think one of the things that makes it kind of happen so suddenly is is the field the as a communicator so much of the field that i'm i'm in is changing so much and that there's always emerging trends as i always feel like i have something new to learn and i'm i'm behind i'm behind what my peers are doing i'm i'm just always amazed i mean i remember a couple of years ago at hyatt web when you presented about your your social media street team and i just mm-hmm. it, blew me away and I thought, okay, that's something we have to do. And, um, you know, we, we tried to do some work with students and it was successful, but it, I had a very real, quick realization of how hard that work is and, and what you do there. And, you know, so I see what all these different professionals around me are doing that blow me away and, and how I'm just trying to keep up with them. Um, and so it's hard to feel like a veteran when, <laughs> I'm still feeling so new to this. And then to look at my organization and realize that half of the people I'm working with weren't there when I started six years ago. Um, it's, it's a real thing to kind of wrap your mind around. It is, but it's also, a, it's actually kind of an awesome thing too, because, you know, I, I've got two new members on my team and the, the fresh, the fresh ideas that they bring to the table just really, energize me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it makes it so fun to come into work every day. And it's stuff that I used to do, um, you know, back when I was the person running social media um, or the person, you know, doing web, um, having their fresh take and their fresh ideas and their, their you know, enthusiasm and drive, just, it just makes me happy. Um, because mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of myself um, back when I could do that. Not to say that I don't have fresh ideas and, you know, all that kind of stuff these days. But, but you know, like when it comes to social media, like, you know, I don't get TikTok. Like, I mean, I want to, you know, <laughs> I never got Snapchat and I still, you know, I was uh, my, my new person. She's, she's actually Gen Z. Like I hired a Gen Z person. Um, isn't that nuts? Um, cause she was born in 97. So she's a Gen Z and you know, I was like, it's so funny because like I am the, I am the beginning of the millennials. You're the beginning of Gen Z and my son is the beginning of whatever they're going to call the next one. Um, they run out of letters. So I guess Gen one, you know, Gen ZZ, um, Gen AA, I guess if we, if we go by Excel rules, it's generation AA, right? Um, cause once yeah. you get to Z, you have to, you know, do the double letters and go through there. Um, but anyway, um, it, it's just fascinating. Just, you know, just how things are so multi-generational. Um, and now, you know, except for boomers, boomers think we are all are millennials, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's just funny. Um, or, or, or these, these early gen, um, you know, millennials like myself, there's like half of us are like, eh, we're Gen Z. I'm like, well, technically no, you're not. But I actually think that what, 
what whether you're a millennial or not is like based off of when you got dial up um, at home. Um. That's funny. I you know, and it's I'm I'm on the cusp of Gen X and millennial. Um, I was born in '80, and so kind of depending on who's keeping score, some people say I'm millennial, some people say I'm I'm Gen X. Um, and and what I always find, you know, you mentioned never getting Snapchat, and it's that speaks truth to my heart. Um, and I also think that there are just times where I kind of look at the social media landscape, and I I just think it's like I don't. I'm I'm on Facebook. I love Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Instagram Stories, LinkedIn, you know, doing all these different things, and I'm like I. I don't know if I have capacity for one more. Like my my brain is full right now. I want to understand the concepts, but this is where I need someone else on my team who can help navigate this because I'm done. Like I'm full. There's there's no standing room only. There's no more seats left. I do think it's funny because one of the things, you know, they have zennials, which are those middle of the road, which technically I guess we are, if you consider that. And um the delineation points um, of the person who came up with the name Zennial, um are the first Star Wars movie and Return of the Jedi. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and you know, and it's one of the things, and I've I've been thinking about, you know, when when kind of OK Boomer had its moment in the sun. Um, you know, I kind of thinking about how a lot of generational issues are, are painted with broad brushes and how do you communicate with different people? And it, it is, you know, every generation has it's, you know, different things that it experiences and different segments of each generation has different things that it experiences. But, you know, I, I think the bottom line is um, as communicators, just the landscape for us is constantly changing and how we, um, it just requires a lot of work outside of the text technical expertise of understanding the ins and outs of a platform at the mm-hmm. end of the day um, we need to understand just how to talk to people in a way that resonates with them and um, that that takes different people need to hear different things and um, that's okay I you know you wouldn't want everybody to hear the same thing but that takes a tremendous amount of skill and brain power to navigate that you know We'll always look for a great thing to end the show on. And I think that's a great thing to end the show on. <laughs> Thanks, Brendan. Oh, well, thank you. You know, Logan, thank you so much for having me on. This was really nice. It was really awesome. And I'm really, really glad that you were able to hop on the show. And listeners, head down to higher and get links to the stuff we talked about today. And subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show and lets us know what you think. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at HES Podcast. Send us a tweet. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to let us know if you want to be on the show. Higher Ed Social was created by Jackie Vitrano and me, Logan Bishop, and is produced by the amazing Emma Haas. We're part of the Connect EDU network, the first podcast network for higher education. Visit the website connectedu.network and subscribe to some awesome shows no matter where you work on campus. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.